Culture and Psychology with Tabana. Very warm welcome to Bam Dad Radio listeners. This is the Culture and Psychology Show featuring Saide, Dr. Saide Malakovzali, Dr. Daniel Rockers, and myself, Dr. Alex Andrade. Uh, today I'll be taking the helm a little bit. Uh, Dr. Malakovzali is not joining us today, uh, but she's always going to be here with us in spirit. And uh, I don't recall um, why she wasn't available, but I'm going to assume it's something fun and like self-care motivated. Um, she's always a, a leader in regards to taking care of herself and enjoying herself. So I'm going to assume she's doing something fun today. Uh, today, it's going to be Dr. Daniel Rockers and myself, and we're going to be talking about uh, kind of a relevant issue in regards to the Olympics and sports and athletes. And so, uh, yeah, I think it's such a, a relevant topic, especially during this time. Uh, there's so much going on in the world. Um, you know, we got the Olympics going on too. And it's, it's very different too. Definitely. I think that's something we should touch on too, just how different the Olympics are this year. Uh, but definitely talking about competitiveness, uh, athletes, uh, and, and the unique kind of qualities that they uh, encounter. Uh, Daniel, would you like to kind of jump us off and talk a little bit more? Yeah, I think it's a very interesting thing that the Olympics going on right now and everybody's watching like they do at every Olympics. Yeah. But it really touches us in a different way than I think a lot of other programs do. There's something very special about the Olympics and the competition and what it brings out in people. So we've got some great things to talk about today. Yeah. I think one of the big things is most, I think most people have seen the Olympics or watched the Olympics. And if they haven't watched it, they probably see it on the news or hear about it on the news. Everybody's talking about it. One of the big things is Simone Biles, the gymnast who stopped out of some of the competition, uh, at least on the news today, they said due to mental health concerns. And I think wow. what I heard them say was it was she had a case of the twisties, which I believe means that as the body is, as they're doing flips or rotations or twists in the air, that there's some part of the mind that can protectively clutch up and then they can get confused or whatever. There's a similar term, I think, in golf called the yips. And it's this involuntary sudden jerk when golfers are putting and putting as you might know, is like very fine, delicate hand and arm movements. And any involuntary jerks in there are going to mess the thing up. So the thing I would like to talk about here, actually, I'd like to lead it off then with a question. And this question, Alex, for yes. you is this. Yes. If you were a competitor in the Olympics, what do you think would be the biggest concern you would have if you were in the Olympics? It's funny. I was just asking somebody this the other day. I was like, what, if you were to perform in the Olympics, what would you do? And, and thinking about it too, there's, there's nothing I could probably do in the Olympics, actually. I mean, the, the, the level of competitiveness, the training that it takes, um, it's just, it, it's almost something I can't fathom. Like it could be, it'd be like one of those dreams where instead of, I I should have been going to class all semester and I didn't go yeah. and it's the final. You could wake up and like, whoa, I'm a competitor in the Olympics. Oh my yeah. God. Well, how am I going to do this? 
It definitely would be a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, it would definitely it wouldn't be a dream. It would be a nightmare. I'd be like, true. That's yeah. true. It's not like a dream come true. Well, yeah. what sport? Just pick one sport that you think you would like to do. Not that necessarily that you would win or be best in, but what would you like to do? Well, well let me let me lead with this story. Let, let me let me answer okay. it short and then go into a long. I would pick swimming. And let me let me explain why. Uh, of all the Olympic sports, probably the only thing I can do and not look like a complete idiot because I do know like the form and things like that. But with that being said, I do want to say I did swim on a swim team before. And when I was on that swim team, I was about 15 years old. Uh, I actually lost every single competition, every single competition I lost. All right. Except for the second to last, which was like the championships, the, 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 the last championships, I got into second to last place. And the team that I was on celebrated that I came in second to last place. And so I share that because even if I was to get into the Olympics, I would definitely be dead last, but at least I would kind of know what I was doing. Like, you know, you watch the, the the gymnast and things like that. I, I The only thing I could do with that, I could probably just walk to the mat and be like, okay, I'm here. And then anything else would look like me flailing and falling and having a seizure or anything like that. I mean, it would just be horrible trying to do the number of spins and flips and twists that they do. And so I can't even imagine one, what it would be like to compete, but then to compete with, I think going back to your question, uh, to compete with some kind of injury or some kind of difficulty, even just psychological, even just being like, I'm standing in front of the world performing this sport that I've never done, you know, to, to that level, again, back to the nightmare, uh, you know, I can only imagine on that level to be in front of the world in that way. And so I, I think it's just, it's, it's something that's such a hard question to answer. Like, what would that even entail? What would that look like? Uh, what about you, Daniel? What would that look like for you to even think about trying something in the Olympics? Well, I, I would split the question first into saying, is it just I'm transported there now with no training whatsoever? Right now. I, I think it's right just now? right now. Yep. Right where we at in our life, right here, physically as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I probably, what I would not say, and I have a kind of somewhat similar story to yours, although not quite <laughs> as dramatic, <laughs> would not be running. Mm. Because when I was in grade school, I remember running and somehow just feeling so slow and I could never win a running race. Yeah. It was quite embarrassing. But then there was one time when I think I had gotten off the bus off a bus and some other kid was chasing me. And I happened to be running more on the balls of my feet mm. instead of like a heel toe type mm. of run. And I was like really fast. <laughs> When you think, I think it was a technique issue for me. Yeah. I never really knew how to run. Kind of like I never really knew how to throw a ball very well. Mm -hmm. You know, I couldn't get my body into that, yeah. into that throw. All right. So that's well, the, well I was I was gonna say we if any listeners out there runners, you know, uh, you know, email us at uh, the website www.thetavana.com. T-H-E-T-A-V-A-N-A. -A -A. Maybe we're running wrong because I'm slow too. So, and maybe it's like the balls of our feet kind of thing. So yeah, I, I think we need some, we need some training obviously and yeah, how to run. Tips. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So not running. If I was transported right now, I would probably say golf. I would play golf. 
Now with a little bit of training and yeah. this, this I was actually pretty good at when I was younger was gymnastics. Mm-hmm. So I would do with a little bit of training. I mean, I would feel like I, mean, I could do some things, yeah. although my upper body strength is not nearly what it was, of course, when I was in my twenties, yeah. that can be that that can be some of that can be trained back in. I do believe that's true. And as we get older, it's so important, Alex, this is an important thing for you to keep in mind. As you get older, you know, as what is it? As you pass 50 or 40, you begin to lose muscle mass at a certain percentage. And each year it gets a little bit greater, which is why as you get older, it's so important to lift weights. So important to lift weights to build muscle mass. I feel like you're telling me I'm not going to be able to compete in the Olympics for sure now because of that. Is that what I mean? Uh, minus well, everything swimmer, we both said. As, I think <laughs> as a swimmer, you're fine. Swimmers generally, although I did see a swimmer today, this morning, the guy who won like the five gold medals, that dude is pretty big and showed him in the pictures. And oh, boy, yeah. he's got big muscles, but his neck was great big. Dude was very muscular. Oh, I always man. thought swimmers were a little more more sleeker in body and not uh bigger of muscle build but yeah like lean either way you know i've got faith in you alex i think you would do good i you know as far as golf goes if i played golf in the olympics like i played yesterday i would probably (laughs) feel very bad about myself i I was gonna ask that that's cool too that you did the gymnastics too and like you said earlier with the whole twist these things sounds like not something that you're super familiar with but the the yips uh i was wondering if you're familiar with that or if you've heard a lot about that i'm wondering if like like you kind of alluded to it's kind of involuntary is it something that people find themselves kind of doing is it something that kind of like ebbs and flows it kind of comes up at different periods for them is it do you think it's like stress related to i mean what have you heard about the yips uh, in regards to golf yeah the thing is it'll it's it can cause professional players to quit playing golf. And there are some players who change their grip entirely, like make one, uh, the different hand dominant and things like that. Really? Wow. That they cannot get control of it. Some people are able to, but because it's an unconscious, my conceptualization is an unconscious thing. And it's like, as you're going through the putting stroke, it is this involuntary almost like a, a, a little lunge of the arm. It's an anticipation of striking the ball. So it's so hard to get to because it's unconsciously generated. It's deeper inside. And it's probably a protective thing or an anticipatory thing that it's very hard to get control of. I mean, I've known people, not lots and lots, but one who was an instructor who did not would not play well wow. people because of that it's it's can be a it is a crippling thing you know if you think about we have a number of conditions that we would diagnose in our practices that end up being some sort of uh, like a think of like a phobia yeah. think of a generated phobia generally with a phobia you're not going to just say, oh, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, like you can't just say, oh, I don't want to be, I'm not going to be afraid of snakes anymore. It comes from a place that's a little deeper inside yeah. than the, the conscious you. Yeah. 
Sure. So that's what the yips are about. And that's why they're so hard to get to. It's a, it's a real challenge. It really gets in the way of things. And I find too, sometimes once something like that maybe happens, it's just hard not to build it up in your mind even more. And then that probably feeds into it where it becomes a cycle of fearing that that's going to happen. And then, like you said, maybe not playing with others, maybe even not wanting to play anymore. Um, you did mention people maybe being kind of proactive, maybe, in, you know, trying to switch hands. And so trying to, to work against it or work with it in a way. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I think a lot of people, you know, they, they pull back when, when the thing you used to do or the thing you've always done doesn't work anymore. Um, then, then, you know, you, you kind of start to shut down. The problem is that most people instinctively to get beyond it, try not to do it. If you're trying to not do something, you're probably going to create it. Yeah. You're going to add to it. You're going to supplement it. So the answer is this. Instead of trying not to do it, you should try to face it. Try to bring it into full awareness. Then you can get some control over it. We can't get control over those things that are unconscious, right? So they're just, they're unconscious. And they're out of our ability to control them. And, and that's the whole thing of, of the unconscious, it runs us and it runs us from the darkness. We can't see it. We can't get to it. So then the best that we do is we try to work around it or distract from it or not face it or not do it. And, and that is at best a partial answer for it. No, I, I think how do we make it conscious? How do you bring it into conscious awareness? This, this is what Freud said, right? Freud talked about what is the royal road to un unconscious? Freud said it, Jung said it, um, all yeah. the spiritual masters say it too. It's integration of, of all those split off parts in our psyche. Yeah, so making the unconscious conscious and then starting to do the work. That's it. That's yeah. it. And that's very hard work to do because for a lot of us, we blocked out these things that we just don't want to think about or talk about or hear about. That's why we create these defenses inside ourselves. On that so note, yeah, on that note, let's let's take a quick break and uh, come back and talk a little bit more about the Olympics. Uh, I want to talk a little bit more, too, about the Simone Biles and the, the mental health aspect of that, too. Um, and, and just even what athletes and themselves have to uh, have to contend with. So we'll take a quick break and then we'll be right back. Welcome back. Uh, maybe a, instead of a warm welcome back, let's do a hot August welcome back. Uh, hopefully not too hot. But uh, yeah, we're here today, culture and psychology, myself, Dr. Alex Andrade, Dr. Daniel Rockers, and uh, 
joining us uh, in spirit, uh, Dr. Saide Malakavzali. Uh, today we're talking about uh, the Olympics, uh, including some of the unique aspects that uh, uh, athletes encounter, uh, including what we were talking about as well as Simone Biles and the, the twisties uh, that she encountered. We've talked a little bit about uh, how golf uh, players uh, kind of similarly, uh, maybe to some degree, have a, an experience called the yips and uh, how that can impact. Uh, and we also kind of squandered our dreams of joining the Olympics uh, as well. We talked about that. Um, a little sad, Daniel and I will probably never actually compete, but I think we're okay with it. We've moved on. Um, but yeah, so next, what I, I think we wanted to jump back in a little to uh, just in regards to Simone Biles and even athletes and of themselves, kind of what they experience. I always say athletes, they they have such a unique relationship with their body that I think a lot of other people don't really maybe know or quite understand. It's it's one where I, I, I work with individuals who've, uh, I know we both have worked individuals with pain and, uh, you know, health issues where they've had to make life adjustments. And I always say, you know, when we want to move our arm or our leg, we just do it without thinking about it. But then once we have an injury, that may not happen in that same way. And for the average person, it's such a difficult thing to comprehend. Where with athletes, they've trained and they've they've learned the, the limits of their body as well, even how much to push themselves, how much to kind of pull back. And, and then when they do encounter an injury, maybe one that they're not quite able to recover from as they have in the past, it's it's almost like changing their, their whole identity as well as their whole identity in connection with their body. And so it's such, it's something that I found can be very challenging and very difficult uh, for a lot of athletes to contend with having to either make, you know, major adjustments to how they do things or, um, you know, like with Simone Biles and this, maybe having to pull out of event. So to be able to know one's body enough to say that I'm not able to do that whether it's be our, you know, our body because of some type of injury or even psychologically, I, I would say the mind and the body are connected. So, you know, th is there really a difference in listening to the psychological aspect of, uh, uh, you know, that something telling us that we're not quite able to do that um, is one kind of respect it more or one acknowledged more. Daniel, what's your take on, on what Simone Biles and the mental health aspect of that? Do, do you feel like that, is given the same amount of weight if it's a mental health issue than if it was like a physical like injury or physical kind of uh, damage? I think that we're at a place historically where, where the society is finally able to more accept the importance and the significance of mental health and mental, mental functioning in all of that. You know, finally, what we're seeing is people are it's very common for people to have a psychological coach, right? Sports psychology. That's a very common thing. And a lot of the Olympics athletes have those. And a lot of golfers have those too. It's a really a great step forward in our society that we're talking now about mental health and the importance of psychological stuff in there. It's unfortunate that for such a long time, it was disregarded or minimized and still will be by lots of people. We, we see it all the time still, but this is just such a great step forward that people are being more vocal about the whole thing. And this, this idea of the split between mind and body is so 
antiquated and ridiculous because it's like the programming of all the body comes from through the brain. Yeah. All of the nerve and motor movements come from the brain mm -hmm. and all of that generation comes from our mind. So it's really pretty silly. It's kind of silly. It's ridiculous that we would give short shrift to the mental aspect of things. But we also know, like, like from golfing and the yips, if something happens that seems out of our control, that's uncontrollable, the amount that it undermines your confidence is incredible. When you lose your confidence that to execute those movements that you know you know how to do, but there's some other force stopping you from doing it, and it happens when you can't even predict it, that's pretty, uh, that's, that's a loss of confidence. And when you lose your confidence, boy, you just can't function that way. Yeah. I was looking at the CNN website and it said that she had, she said she had a little bit of the twisties and they described it here. They said, twisties are a mysterious phenomenon. Suddenly a gymnast is no longer able to do a twisting skill she's done thousands of times before. Hmm. Your body just won't cooperate. Your brain loses track of where you are in the air. You find out where the ground is when you slam into it. Wow. And, you know, it's, in golf, if you're putting, it's your body doesn't get slammed into the ground. Yeah, sure. Yeah. The consequences of that dire. Yeah. If you're like um, flipping off of the balance beam or wherever, that's heavy duty stuff. Yeah. Your whole body integrity is at risk. So no wonder it's quite frightening. So the gymnasts have the psychological coaches. So I think it's a great step forward. I think it's very unfortunate and I'm sad that she went through that because I know there were big hopes and she had big hopes there. I think she's still going to compete in some things, but for her to be able to say that and for other people to be able to hear that across the world, I think it's a, it's a, I think it's a great move forward. Yeah. This is, it's, it's very positive for psychology it's positive for her too, because I'm sure it just takes a lot of, it probably took a lot for her to be able to say that and to withdraw. Yeah. I could amount, I could imagine, imagine the amount of kind of pressure and expectation both through just what it took to get to that point, the amount of training and preparation and then one's team. And then, you know, even the, the drive to uh, you know, excel and, and, you know, win the medal. I mean, to, to be on that road, to those types of experiences and then being able to really be humbled by saying, this is what I'm going through and I'm not able to do it. Um, I, I think that's something that, that really takes a lot of courage to be able to say, I, I'm not able to do this. I think knowing one's limits uh, physically and mentally is one of the hardest things. I, I remember years ago, I used to have this shirt. I remember you commented on it one time. I had this shirt that said, refuse limitation. And I remember in thinking and for me it was it was more kind of psychological in regards to those those hurdles and those challenges in, in life to aspire to more that i never envisioned being able to do uh go to grad school move across the country things like that I, I mean i that that was like a bit of a mantra for me for a while because i think it's so easy when we we hit our limits to just feel you know frightened to feel you know uncertain um, I, I, I kind of joked, you know, like that, that helped me 
but also in honesty, the thing that helped me too was to learn my limits. It was to know when I had to kind of say, okay, this is much as this is much as I can do with this. Um, and so physically, I can only imagine to to learn one's limits in that way, especially an athlete, especially somebody who's 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 connected with their body in a way where they're constantly training, they're constantly enduring. I mean, I, I've exercised and I've played some sports, but nothing to that level. So I can only imagine what it'd be like to, I always think of it as like a full-time job as an athlete to, you know, be conditioning your body. You're, you're probably eating a certain way, you're exercising, you're uh, just attending to, you know, your body and, and, and the, the, the skills that you need in your, in your craft and your sport to be able to function kind of almost automatically. Like you just have to build that, that, that pattern of this is what my body is going to need to do. And what, how, how can I do that too? That's the limitations. How, how does my body do those things? What does that look like? And, and to be able to, you know, go through all of that and still get to that point where it's saying, no, I have to listen to what my body's saying. My body's saying, I can't do this. And I have to, on a, on a world platform at the Olympics, to say, I'm going to step down. I can only imagine. Yeah. I, I hope she does have support in that way too, to be able to even just kind of process that and talk about that. Cause I can only fathom just all the thoughts and wonderings and questions and emotions associated with that. Well, you know, it's probably what you said sparked my thinking here. And it's probably, we work so hard in sports to make things automatic, like you said, right? We just want it to be this automatic, People call it muscle memory, but it's stuff. What the, I think what's really being said is it's something that's not in conscious mind. We've done it enough in a certain way that we don't have to consciously step ourselves through it, whether it's a golf swing, whether it's a gymnastics move or anything else. And of course, there can be little things that slip into that unconscious mind space, some incorrect or not what we want motor programming routines get in there and that's probably what that twisties is or the yips are in golf it's something somehow somewhere some little piece of motor programming is sneaked in there that we didn't want in the unconscious mind and how are we going to get that out so here's a question for you alex though would you rather which do you think would be more painful to lose in front of a whole bunch of people or to withdraw from the thing in front of a whole bunch of people. Oh, man. You've always seemed to have these well-thought-out answers. I know. You, you stuck Genuine me there. compliment. I really think. <laughs> Thank I like you. Your, I like your answers. So uh, I, I want to hear it again, just to be sure. So to withdraw in front of everybody. Yeah, you could, you're getting up to do the thing, whatever yeah. the thing is, and you either... Which is more difficult or painful to withdraw, say, you know what, I'm not going to be able to do it today, or to know you maybe, maybe or maybe not know you need to withdraw, but no, but get up there and do it and really have a spectacular fail. I think it would be harder to fail in front of everybody only because I didn't listen to myself and I went further than I should. I, I found that in life too. There's been times where like, I know I should walk away or I know I shouldn't engage. And, you know, there's that part of you that's like, okay, I, I know this is the right thing. But then I'm like, 
you know, uh, I'm a person too, just like everybody. So it's like, you know what, what the heck? Let me see. Let me, let me make this mistake. You know, we know we're making the mistake. And then after we're like, I so shouldn't have done that. I right. Cause know. you go into it saying, Oh, let, well, let me do it. Maybe I can do it. Yeah. Maybe I yeah. can get it. Yeah. Maybe it won't be as bad as I think it would be, or maybe it'll all right. be all right. And sure enough, you, you, you fall and you're flat on your face and you're, you're, you're more, I think of anything you're, it's harder because you're kind of disappointed in yourself too, versus being like, you know what, I, I should have listened to myself. I should have, you know, recognized that was my limit. And again, I think that goes back to like that. That's why it's so hard. It's hard to really know our limits in that way and to really listen to them. I think it's one of the things that's an ongoing process throughout our life, really being able to kind of learn what that is in those different uh, areas of our life. And you know, with athletes, as they progress, it's interesting. They're, they're on such an arc as they get better. They're also on the decline. You know, how much, how many more years do they have of being able to do that? You know, when's that peak? And it's tough because they may never know. There's athletes who are at the beginning of their career and then they end up getting hurt and then that's the end and they're done. And so it's one of those things where it's like, well, yeah, they shouldn't have pushed so hard, but it's like, yeah, well, they're young and they're in their twenties and they're at their peak and they're pushing it to the limit. No one expects to get hurt. Nobody plans to get hurt. And so like to, you know, to, to know that, okay, I only have so much time to do this or I only can be able to, you know, compete uh, so long I can only imagine too, even that playing a factor into how much we try to push ourselves. I think, and coming back to your question or the question that I gave to you, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think it would be, I think it's harder to withdraw in front of everybody. Yeah. And it's easier just to tell ourselves, no, I think I can do it. I, I'll, I'll give it a try. Yeah. So it's harder to withdraw and easier to go ahead and try it. But it is more painful to go ahead and do it and fail spectacularly in front of the people. I think it's, it's, it's harder to withdraw, but it's easier in the end. It's easier to go ahead, but more painful in the, for yeah. the going ahead and failing. And I think a, p- a piece of that too, that I just want to point out, I think it's when it comes to something like that, especially something probably that you're competing in or you're athletic with, I think it's harder to fail yourself than it is people. I think maybe, you know, one or two people, your coach, you know, the people that you're really close to, but I think people in general, I think that's like less of a factor in the equation. I think it's, it's more, as I was saying, it's more of not listening to myself. So like to fail in front of myself or maybe those one or two people, then, you know, really listening, you know, cause I, I feel like if I was going to do something, you know, even, even in our field, if I was going to do a talk and I, you know, was telling you, yes, Daniel, I agree. I'm going to do this talk. If I told you, you know, last minute, Hey, Daniel, I can't do it. Like I, I just, I, I prepared, I thought I was ready. I just can't do it right now. I, I don't think you would be as harsh on me as I would probably be on myself. And I think that's, you know, somebody's coach, somebody who cares about them isn't going to be like, oh, what you failed or you're a quitter, you know, uh, people, you know, who are, you know, uh, just, you know, spectators, they're going to have their opinions and their thoughts, which uh, we're seeing a lot with the Simone Biles thing too. A lot of people have different opinions, some very harsh and critical, but I think probably the, the people that you care about most, they're not going to say, you know, if I was like, you know, I'm reaching my limit, Daniel, you'd be like, yeah, you know what? 
disappointed in you. You're a failure. You know, you, you should have never said, I can't do everything I could do. What's wrong with you? If anything, I think you'd probably come from a place of more being concerned, which for Simone Biles, it's probably the same thing. People are probably really concerned about who are closest to her. And spectators, people who are just, you know, probably people who've never been on a, a mat before, <laughs> anything gymnastic before, you know, that that opinion is going to matter probably not nearly as much as, as the people closest to her and, and probably her own feelings. Yeah. And it's easy to be a critic. Yeah. It's really easy to be a critic. I think someone can be a critic of Simone Biles if two conditions are fulfilled. One is that they have participated in the Olympics and won. And number two, if they have lived Simone Biles' entire life with all her experience. Yeah. And only if those two conditions are fulfilled, which if you've done the second, <laughs> you've done the first. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> only if the second condition is fulfilled, I'll make it shorter. Then are they allowed to be a critic? It's kind of like that uh, parable from the Bible. Mm. He who is without sin can cast the first stone mm. when there's stone in the woman for adultery. Yeah. So, yeah, if you have never, you know, if you've done all those things, then, okay, you can go ahead and criticize. But the reality is nobody else has done all this. Yeah. So really the criticism, it's just so easy to be a critic. Yeah. It's so easy to be a critic, partly because we have our own internal critics in our head, probably. And it's Not easier sure. if we can criticize somebody else and put them down, then we make ourselves feel a little bit better. I don't think that's a good program to operate. That's how the humans to work. Yeah. I, I think it's easy to similarly along, along those lines, <clears throat> you know, you can, especially when it comes to something like that, like, you know, uh, ath something very athletic. You know, you, you can't criticize from your couch, you know, like if you like you right. said, even, even if you're not her, if you've been training, if you've, you know, done something, you know, you, you can't be on your couch, you know, snacking, eating food and talking about what's wrong with her. It's just like, yeah, you're way too off to even have an opinion about it. But that's a tricky thing nowadays. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. Uh, but yeah, sometimes uh, you got to know where, <laughs> where you can say something and where you're not uh, maybe uh, as able to say, you know, your view, your opinion. Right. Should yeah. we take another break here? Yeah, let's go ahead and jump on a, another break here. Um, uh, again, missing Saide Malakov Zali. Uh, and she would typically say something here in Farsi. And I'm not going to try only because of a lack of skill. Uh, Daniel, I mean, you, 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 you pick it up way more than I do. It's a, a, a craft of yours, a, an ability of yours that I really respect. Here we I, go. I think, here we go. Aziz Radio Bandad. There we go. Perfect. So yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, we got to get side A to teach us more. Um, so that way when she's not here, we can, we can do something. So we have to have like a default or something. Anyway, we'll take a quick break and uh, we'll come back in a minute and continue to talk about the Olympics, Simone Biles and athletes.
Welcome back to Culture and Psychology. This is Dr. Alex Andrade with Dr. Daniel Rockers. Uh, Dr. Malikov Zali is not with us today, but uh, we're, we're going to sprinkle her a little bit more into this section as we uh, as we talk to, because there's been a couple of times already I've, I've wondered what Side A would say. And so uh, that, I feel like that should even be a segment of the show. Like, what would Side A say? What um, would Side A say? Yeah, yeah. But is it, do we have that if she's on the program or only when she is not on the program? I think both. I think we we should have a, an exclusive period of what would Dr. Malakov Zali, what would Side A say? Yeah. We what, could, you know how we could do it is we could say, okay, we could introduce that segment. Yes. What would you say? And then each of you and I could each say, no, I think this is what she would say. And then she could say her thing. So ba- basically both fail horribly at what she would probably say. And, uh, <laughs> and then she would correct us. You know what? Now, now that she's not here, let's take a vote. I think we, we both hands in the air. Yep. Okay. We both vote to pass the, having that segment. Uh, we'll have to tell her that uh, listeners emailed in and said, yes, we want uh, that, that segment too. So uh, again, definitely, uh, Check out our website, www.thetavana.com. And yeah, just blast us with emails saying Saide should have her own segment. And then she won't be able to deny, to deny it. So uh, yeah. Right. Oh, the other way, what we could do is we could each give our interpretation of what she would say and she yeah. would have the sound off so she wouldn't hear what we're saying. Oh, I like that. And then we could compare how close were we? Yeah. I still know I'm going to be off, but I, I think it's worth trying it. Yeah. So yeah, let's again, send those emails in. So that way she has to do it. She'll, she'll feel obligated through the encouragement of our listeners to have her own like segment. So yeah, let, I mean, we could build her up on like her own platform. She'll be like the, you know, the, the new Oprah or something like that. I don't know. I mean, you know, right. we, we could write her coattails, you know, we'll be like, you know, I knew her back when she we was just be, doing the radio show. Right. When we were just starting out with the radio show. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, but back to now, sorry, we, 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 we tend to do that too. She, she's not here to rein us in. Uh, uh, but going back to the, the Olympics, Simone Biles, I did want to mention too, the idea, um, going very back to the beginning of our conversation today, uh, even just the idea of watching the Olympics, uh, like one, I'm, I'm not one of those people who goes out of my way to watch the Olympics. Uh, I was out at lunch yesterday and it was on TV and I was kind of watching it there and, 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 and it does grab my attention. It's not that I don't want to watch it. It's just, I don't go out of my way to watch it. And so, uh, I know it's one of those things where even if we don't, you know, we're not really super into it. Um, I, I think every different, uh, you know, sport, it, it, it'll draw you in, even if you watch it for a few minutes. And that's one thing I find that's really interesting at, about it. The other thing I was going to mention, too, it's a very different time, too, in the world in regards to COVID, vaccinations, Delta variants, things like that. Um, the Olympics, a lot of the, the sports I've noticed, there's nobody in the stands or there's but a handful of people, too. And so I wondered how that's kind of been different too, maybe for the athletes. One thing uh, back when, um, uh, how long ago was it? Several months back, one of the first kind of uh, sports to come back um, uh, in the world is, is, you know, COVID was running rampant, uh, was uh, UFC fighting. A good friend of mine, uh, Tony, is into UFC fighting. Uh, He's done some training. He watches it all the time. It's so interesting. You watch it. Now, a lot of times the crowd's there. So it's like yelling and screaming. And so you, you really can't, you, you don't get a sense of, you know, what it's like in the ring, maybe for the, for the fighters. But what happened when there was no audience, 
and you were watching it, you would hear each slap, each punch, each grunt. Uh, you could hear them even like almost like whispering under their breath, just like, yeah, yeah, come on, come on, come on. And it was such a different kind of experience to hear like just like the rawness of it, literally two people just fighting in and, and all the, the the punches and the smacking sound and it echoed in a, in a way that was so unique. Even even the commenter, uh, the, 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 uh, the commenters um, who were, you know, uh, directing the or not directing, excuse me. Um, commentating we were commentating on the fight we're even like whoa it's so different to like hear all of the sounds and i guess i wonder for the olympics too you know what what that must be like one to not have fans in the audience like cheering people on uh but then also too you know i wonder if it's even a different experience for the athletes in that way I, i've been a little partial to it i think i've talked about it on the radio show before uh you know i'm a lot of the sports when they were first coming back, baseball, football, they were, ha they had the fake audiences and they were doing the uh, pre-recorded, you know, cheering and things like that. And, you know, maybe it does something for the athletes as a fan. I was just like, ah, I don't really want to watch that. I, I, I want authentic, you know, screaming and yelling and cheering. And I things want. Like yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I, that's what I demand as a fan. Uh, I have no say or no power about it, but yeah, I just wanted to, to open it up in regards to, yeah. What are your thoughts on just it being, you know, the Olympics taking, uh, you know, occurring at this time and even just, you know, no, no, no fans, no spectators, especially for athletes who are traveling across the world uh, to, to perform at this level, but then it's maybe like feels like practice, like the volleyball is watching a volleyball match and there's nobody in the stands. It's like, OK, so maybe they're just on the beach just playing volleyball. But it, this is, you know, for the Olympics. You know, it's so different, though. I wonder how much it is for the fans or for the crowd and how much it is for the people playing the sport. Hmm. So I would think that. Mike, as I think more about it, I would think that there probably are two kinds of people. Some people who perform better when there are fans mm -hmm. and the spectators, and some people who perform better when there's not. If we think about, but I wonder just how much of that professional sports or Olympic sports is for the fans. Yeah. Is it really, is it more an entertainment that way or is it for the people? Let, let me let me ask a Dr. Daniels Rocker uh, question here. Uh, Go for which, it. Which Let's also do it. be a new segment. Would, wait, that's another segment. That's right? another segment. Yeah, yeah. Which do you? How do you perform? Do you feel like you perform better if there was like, say, you're playing golf and there's an audience of people who are watching, or just you and maybe the other person that you're playing with? Do you think that would influence how you even play? I'm a very here's a little paradoxical piece. I'm very like extremely probably pathologically self-conscious, not self-confident, but self <laughs> <laughs> I was going to let it slide. You know, maybe, know, maybe listeners thought, going, yeah, confidence. I almost yeah. said the wrong thing. <laughs> that would be pretty good. I'm pathologically self-confident. Self yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I wish I was. Yeah. <laughs> Having said that, though, I know we played a golf tournament this was oh, probably like 10 years ago. And I can remember the guys that I ordinarily played with couldn't be in there. And so I ended up playing with three in a foursome with three women. And I was the more powerful hitter, as might be expected, being the male hitter. It's not always the case. I'm not sure. trying to be sexist here. Mm -hmm. But just in that instance, and what 
happened there was that they were very good at cheering me on and I played some of the best golf I've ever played and made some of these really long putts and great chips up onto the green and just played in such a way. And I, our score was like really quite competitive based on that. So I think, I think with the, uh, with spectators, I you know, when you're first asking that question, I was thinking, no, I don't, it's not good because I'm too self-conscious, but I think spectators is helpful for me. Yeah. That does me good. What about yourself? Well, I was going to say, going back to what you just said then about the athletes, if it's for the fans or if it's for them, I mean, does that kind of maybe change your answer a little bit? Or do you think that can influence uh, kind of how they perform? Oh, that's a good take. I like your thinking there. That's a good take. I bet it does. I think it does. I was talking with somebody recently, one of my clients, who mentioned that, what was she saying? Well, now it's gone out of my mind. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. While you think about it, I'm going to answer your question. All right. Um, for myself, so I, I, I play pool uh, and I've played on a couple of um, uh, rec leagues. And when I first started, I don't play anymore. I used to play. But when I first started, I had never played in front of a lot of people, like on a team where it was like part of a competition. And so I found at first I was very nervous. And with pool, a lot of times too, people are very quiet. It's like golf. They'll let you hit your shot. Uh, you know, especially in pool, people talk a lot of mess in between, but then when you got to hit your shot, everybody's quiet. They let you hit, but just knowing a lot of people were watching, I would get really nervous. And so it took me a, a few, I want to say like a good, maybe like half a season, maybe like six or eight games before it started to feel normal that so many people were watching me shoot. Because normally when I would play, I'd play with one other person and other people might be watching, but there's nothing on the line. It's not like, oh, okay, you win this match, you, you go to the next level. So I found myself really nervous really uncomfortable at first making like, you know, obvious errors and mistakes that I shouldn't have been making. But then after that, once I crossed that hurdle, it was just part of it. Like I would find myself like even little things, like I wouldn't be sweating as much. My hands wouldn't be clammy. And it was just, you know, we would talk and we would joke and then, you know, I would shoot and it was just, everybody would cheer you on. I, I found the same thing, you know, being part of a team, you want to do a little bit better everybody's encouraging you even you know different techniques about how you can hit uh i did find myself getting nervous again though when we got up to like the championship levels uh that was like you know it was more on the line more people were watching more people were serious about it less joking people being a little more quiet uh so that that was definitely different so uh yeah it's one of those things where i, I think it does matter that people are watching but then it could become part of it in that way as well as even knowing that you have that support, people cheering you on could, like you said, could help you even more in that way. Versus if I just played, if I'm shooting a pool, you know, shooting pool by myself or with one person, I mess up and eh, whatever. All right. We're just, you know, goofing off kind of thing. I think so. Yeah, I did remember. And that's you clued me in on what I was thinking about, like in marathons at the end of a marathon, a marathon is 26 miles, 26 yeah. miles. End of a marathon, a lot of the times those elite runners who crank through the whole thing really fast will go back out a few miles and help run some of the people who are slower, help run them in. Really? Wow. And 
the person I was talking to was one of these ultra marathon runners who's run like these 50 and hundred mile runs, which is wow. totally out there. Yeah. <laughs> it's impressive. <laughs> I would love to be able to do it. There's, I can't think of any way I could do that. Well, I always say when people are like, oh, yeah, I run 50 miles. I'm like, who was chasing you? Like, what, what was there's like an axe murder behind you? I mean, because that's the only way I can't even drive 50 miles, you know, without having to take a break. I mean, to run. Wow, that's amazing. And somebody have to be a pretty persistent chaser, too. Yeah, I'd like time out. You know, if you're chasing me, hey, Daniel, you win. All right. I quit. You know, <laughs> I'm not running 50 miles. <laughs> right. And she pointed out, though, and this is important, we perform better if we've got somebody kind of boosting us and coaching us through. Mm. We can often do things that we may just, oh, yeah, I'm done or slow down or something like that, where we've often got a little more in us than what we realize it is in us. And that's the function of somebody somebody cheering us on. So I would, I can only imagine that if you had a whole huge crowd of people cheering you on, it would probably propel you to try to be able to do a lot more. Yeah. I wonder too, just, I mean, along those lines, you know, it's, it's, you know, has it changed for athletes in regards to not having that, you know, that being so normal for so long and then not having that for a period and then maybe going back to that. I've been to some sporting events uh, recently to a couple of baseball games. And uh, I mean, obviously, you know, you'd have to talk to the players to get a sense of that, but, you know, I know for the fans, it, it, it felt like old hat in some ways. And it was like exciting and fun to be a spectator again in that way. Um, I find when you go to like certain sporting events, you barely watch, you know, the game anyway. You're usually in line for the bathroom or to get a drink or something like that. So uh, that felt very normal, too. You know, you're at a game, you watch like 20 minutes of it. But yeah, I mean, I, I wonder for athletes, it, you know, is it different? You know, could it be different to now have that and especially too with the you know these delta variants that are happening right now in the world that we're uh, hearing about related to COVID, you know is is that something that's going to start to 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 pull back and to to cease again you know our, our audience is not going to be able to uh watch games i have tickets to a bears game uh in october i i don't i don't know if that's going to happen at this point i'm crossing my fingers that things do continue to you know open up and and be available to the world but yeah, it's, it's a reality too. You know, the audiences might have to be reduced or even stopped again. We may be entering a new realm too, in terms of social gatherings, public gatherings and sports and things like this. Mm -hmm. There is not necessarily, we don't necessarily have reason to believe, certainly we're not out of the woods. We don't yeah. have reason to believe another variant after Delta variant may come along too. We've heard talk about Lambda variant already, other Delta variant mutations going on. So we may be entering a new realm. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder how that's again, back to the, 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 the statement you made or the question, you know, are, you know, do athletes perform for fans? I, I think that's, that's going to be a very interesting kind of question moving forward. Is it the well, fans it, that are watching from TV? Is it the fans that are there? Professional sports, I think fits more in the realm of entertainment, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I could see that too. Definitely. I don't mean but, that in a bad way. I'm not saying they're not talented. They're obviously very talented, but mm -hmm. boy, the money, the amount of money and advertising revenue that comes through there, they're, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's, to me, it's more entertainment stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I, I listened to a lot of uh, <clears throat> radio shows, uh, music related radio shows and uh, 
one of the big things a lot of performers have been saying is, you know, they miss being in front of the audience. And I was just thinking, what would a concert be like if they went and performed to an empty, you know, audience? And they do that where they have, you know, recordings of their music. But, you know, can we say that's the same thing to be live in front of an audience versus performing on a recording or maybe even streaming and not having those people there in front of you? I mean, I think maybe it relates to even, you know, what we do via, you know, telehealth as far as seeing patients, you know, um, meeting with people face to face versus uh, via video. I, I, one of the things I have learned along those lines for myself, I've learned that nothing is lost in that way, but it is different to not be in front of a person. So it's not a gain or a loss, but different. I think there are, I think there are gains from each side and losses sure. from each side. So I think there's gains by doing teletherapy. And there are also things you don't get that you have in face-to-face in teletherapy. And there are gains to be made in face-to-face therapy and don't have by not doing teletherapy. Is it yeah. true? You want a quick note in terms of the fans. I can remember back in the 80s, which may have been long before you were ever born. I was born in the 80s. So yes, yes, yeah. All right. Well, I was in college in the 80s. And this was a time when they were doing concerts, but in order to reach more people in more venues, they had a thing called simulcast mm -hmm. where they would broadcast it onto a big screen, like in a room in somewhere. Mm -hmm. And then you would go and you would sit in the room and watch this big screen. And that was, you know, when big screens were a big deal, like have a great big TV and then listen to the music and I went to one and this was in Kansas city. I can't remember who it was. I think it was the who, but I also was sitting there and after they finished playing a song, people in the room were like cheering and then lighting lighters like they used to light and <laughs> lights. And it all seemed so ridiculous to me. <laughs> people were lighting lighters and I thought you were going to say something completely different. Like it felt the, real. <laughs> the, well, the people, the performers that yeah. see the lighters, then yeah. it just seems so silly to me. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like we're in the same boat then. Like it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's different. It's you know something. Well, it's, yeah, I guess the difference between uh, the teletherapy is it's teletherapy is two way communication. True, it's true. Yeah, it's just one way. Like, yeah, yeah, very true. We should probably well, wrap up here. Yeah, we got, we got to wrap up. Yeah. And so a uh, great conversation. Uh, Dr. Daniel Rockers, uh, myself, Dr. Alex Andrade, and uh, Dr. Saide Melikoff Zali in spirit um, with, you know, her soon to be coming segment, you know, what would Saide say? Um, we're we're going to have to pitch that to her definitely. Uh, before we do wrap up, uh, just wanted to start with a, a quick uh, kind of uh, last kind of message to listeners in regards to kind of what we talked about. Uh, Daniel, would you like to go first? I will jump right in. I, th I think that sports and our own competition is so important for our own personal growth because it tells us about ourselves. If you undertake a sport or when you undertake a sport, if you find you're getting irritated or annoyed or frustrated or impatient those are areas of yourself that are being exposed to be worked on. So if you can read it in that way, as opposed to just running with it and saying, oh, this is stupid or this is a bad sport or these clubs don't work, then you're then you lose. But you gain or you win if you see it as an opportunity to smooth over your own rough edges. 
Nice. Uh, I'm going to kind of emphasize a point that you made, you know, in regards to criticism. I always encourage people to, you know, before you can really criticize somebody, make sure you're putting yourself in their shoes. Nobody is Simone Biles, like you said, only she is her. And, you know, when it comes to people struggling or even making, you know, bad choices, really kind of say, you know, what must it be like for that person? What would it be like if I were kind of in that same type of experience? So before we we cast judgment, before we are, are quick to criticize, uh, especially on a public level or social media, um, really try to think, you know, what, what must it be like for that person, uh, especially athletes, again, you know, definitely we, we invest in them. We want to see them perform. We want to see them win. Um, but then also too, you know, they're, they're people, they, they, their bodies have limits, uh, their minds have limits. And so really being able to kind of step back. Well, with that, uh, I want to say again, thank you, Dr. Daniel Rockers. Uh, I myself, Dr. Alexandrati had a good conversation uh, today and uh, look forward to another one. Uh, we do miss Saide, uh, Dr. Malikov Zali. Uh, we hope that she's doing well and she will return soon just to wrangle us back on track and, uh, you know, harass us for not doing the things that we should. So, uh, yeah, yeah we look forward to her bringing us back into line. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. She's, she's the light and she guides us. And so, yes, yes. Well, uh, listeners, thank you so much. Uh, again, check out our website, uh, Uh, you can listen to this show as well as, uh, all previously recorded, uh, shows, uh, if you're lucky, this is one of only the handful of just me and Daniel kind of talking about the things that we talk about. Uh, typically, it's the three of us uh, on culture and psychology. Uh, thank you and have a good rest of the day. Take care. تنها باشم تنها بمیرم دیگه از درد و غم آروم بگیرم برم پیدا کنم یه جای خلبت بشینم عشق بریزم تا بیامم برم پیدا کنم جای خلوت بشینم عشق بریزم تا بیامم برو
سهر شد تا هنوز چشمات بیداره چرا گل میخوری با یک اشاره سهر شد تا هنوز چشمات بیداره رادیو بامداد صدای ما و شما با زبانی آشنا